This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it, like, doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 250! Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we take a gentle approach to the Oscars and say, hey, it was a weird show and it was a weird year, so those two things match up. I'm your host, Nagin Farsad, and yeah, I watched the Oscars, and I want to personally thank Glenn Close for doing debut on live television. That's the kind of we're only doing optimism energy that I want in my life, so Glenn, call me, let's get drinks. Today, we're going to talk about the presidential version of doing the butt, and that is completing the the first 100 days. Uh, we'll also talk about masklessness, the census reformulating the house, and the pandemic baby bust. I am so excited about today's panel. So joining us from uh, many times he's joined us. He's even substitute hosted the show when I've been in the middle of having babies. Just one. Um... He is the host of the Radiotopia show this day in esoteric political history. He's so fun and delightful, and hes you've heard him on, like, just umpteen podcasts. He's so good at it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Jody Avergan. Hey, Jody. Thank you very much. That's quite the intro. Um, and joining us for the very first time, I'm so excited that she's coming on the show because I've been such a fan of her work for so long. She is the co-host of the Election Profit Makers podcast you should immediately be subscribing to. She's also uh, a writer on that wonderful HBO Max show, Search Party. It is the wonderful Starly Kine. Hey, Starly. Hi. Hi, Starly. Uh, thanks, so, 
<laughs> hey, Jody. I never. I'm not sure I ever knew how to pronounce your last name. Until yeah. You just said it right yeah. now. <laughs> In all these years. Well, I always thought it was Klein. So there you go. Mm. Oh my God! I I thought it was Klein for like well, right. I, I, now and again. I think it's like my brain will go between Klein and Kine, and it's really stupid. Um, just a note uh, before we get into the show: we there may be some construction noise or a dog noise, or we don't know. It might just happen. Apologies in advance. We're recording from apartments. Okay, um, and. I'm always looking for ideas on other people that you want to see on the show, guest ideas you might have. So always, always please email us at fakethenation at headgum.com. And I uh, would love to hear from you. So fakethenation at headgum.com if you have any uh, panelist ideas. And with that, we're just going to get into it with topic number one. Biden has completed his first 100 days and in it... He signed 11 bills into law. He's written 42 executive orders. He's undone 62 actions taken by his predecessor, including recommitting the U.S. to the Paris Climate Agreement, halting the U.S. exit from the World Health Organization, and pausing construction of the border wall. COVID-19 cases are down by 73%, and over half the population has at least one dose of the vaccine. And, and this is probably maybe the biggest achievement of his first 100 days, he's continued to be a nice guy. Uh, my question for you both is, um, and oh, for, for the record, we're recording Wednesday afternoon before Biden's kind of pseudo State of the Union address tonight. So apologies, we will not have heard that as we talk about this. But uh, Jody, it's so many caveats to this week's episode. So sorry. What? How many caveats can one woman give? Um, but Jody, what do you think of, of Biden's first 100 episodes? Well, first, I just like you pointing out that we're recording this before the speech. And so in theory, he could say something in the speech. But, you know, this is not Trump, right? We kind of know what he's going to say. It's going to be a normal yeah. speech. Like with Trump, you really have to add that. <laughs> right. You really have to exactly. add that caveat because you never know. But, um, but you know, I the main thing I think about here is, you know, this conversation that has broken out because it is merited about how Biden wants to, you know, quote unquote, go big and do big things. And I think if there's any kind of lesson that you've learned here, it's that doing big things and like normalizing doing big things allows you to do more big things, which is so different, I feel like, from how even just 10 years ago we thought about political capital or whatever as this like exhaustible thing. And if you use some, then you only have a certain amount left. And I think we're kind of realizing that political capital is like a renewable resource or something, right? And and I just think it's remarkable how quickly it's been normalized and obviously the pandemic has a big part to do with that it has created the space in which the you know you can have there's big challenges and so talking about big things feels like it meets the moment but that's kind of where my head's at and you know he's done some big things but i'm also just sort of amazed at how much um the window has shifted to just like understanding that yeah this is this is one of those moments starley where are you at with these first 100 days i'm i'm impressed that he uh, he he's not the president that you would expect to be open to doing big things fast. Like he's not, right. I feel like that's not what people thought he would be. I'm sure there's, I know there's lots of people who don't think it's enough, but I am generally impressed with uh, the expectations of being an old white man. He seems more open and more flexible than his uh, type. <laughs> right. I, and so, yeah, and I and I and I like that he's he he. There's an urgency I feel like he has brought to his presidency in his way, where he's like, I 
only we have to we have to quickly undo the damage that was done or try to undo the damage and every day I don't maybe when you're that when you're his age too you have like a feeling of like yeah. every day really does count but like a low key no drama urgency yeah. which is obviously different from Trump but also different from Joe Biden of like 20 years ago who was like who liked to mix it up who liked to be in front of cameras who liked to sort of like you know be out there um and and that streak yeah. you know for whatever reason is not there and it's like kind of amazing given the demographic picture you're painting of who he is to even like have changed over the course of your life because you know it tends to be that like people are who they are and i do think like joe biden is different temperamentally now than he was 15 20 30 40 50 years ago i agree it feel it's it it feels like wisdom which you don't actually like see in practice very much with the people, the older people we have in government. Yeah. And I also have to say that the, his old white manness is a little bit freeing, right? Because he can just sort of, he can be more progressive than maybe than Obama felt he could be. He could do more on race relations than maybe Obama felt he could. He can just, he is, it, it is freeing because um, it's, uh, it's, it's in that way that um, our default notion of everything is just whiteness. Yeah. Like he gets to be that blank slate and then build off of that. And that's, I think, um, just uh, the weird, the weird benefit of having an old white man in office right now. But like in comparison to like to, to Joe Manchin, who oh, feels sh- yeah. so set in his ways yeah. and so and so rooted and yeah, being an yeah. old, an older white guy. I definitely agree that Biden has more freedom freedom than Obama, but I didn't expect Biden to exercise that freedom. Yeah, that no, he that's has. A, yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, and I just want to say, like, it, it, just to put a little bit of um, meat on the bones of what that freedom has entailed, it's entailed the American Rescue Plan, which is a one point nine trillion dollar plan. That means there's wa- uh, the Water and Ener- Energy and Highway Bills Act um, that's that's meant to be bipartisan. This is all stuff that he's going to supposedly talk about tonight in the State of the Union address. Um, there's a bunch of earmarks in appropriation bills for getting bridges and roads uh, done um, and rehabilitated. There's the jobs plan uh, that just is hundreds of billions of dollars in and of itself. He wants to pay for pre-K and four, 3K and 4K um, preschool. Uh, he wants to pay for community college. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that he's trying to do. There's a ton of stuff like the American Rescue Plan that he has already done. Um, and and I also want to say, in terms of like the Rescue Plan money, what's really interesting is we're, we're talking, you know, he's getting some criticism that like he, he's not bipartisan enough and we could talk about that in a second. But I, w- I do want to say about this rescue plan money, like, for example, Florida plans on using that on environmental cleanup. Maine wants to build a broadband network. Um, in uh, Lake County, Indiana wants to repair sewers and bridges. Th- these are red states that are theoretically against any kind of expenditure ever. And they're using this money um, on a lot of their infrastructure development. And I think, I mean, and that to me is the kind of... Um, we wouldn't have seen that in the last president because anything, everything was a punishment and it was state by state, right? Like Biden doesn't care if it's a red state or a blue state that's going to spend this money. He's happy that states are going to spend this money to make things better. And I think that is coming out. Um, but, but there is that outstanding question of like, 
is he not bipartisan enough? Like he came in on this, you know, promise of bipartisanship. And Jody, do you feel like he's delivering on that? Well, I just think, what does that word mean? I mean, you or you have to understand that that word means two. <laughs> right. you, that, that word means different things in the U.S. Senate and it, then than in the country. Um, and you know, I think when Joe Biden said, "I want to be bipartisan," maybe a bunch of senators, Republican senators, heard that as, "Oh, you, okay." you're going to bend over and take my positions for me. Um, Or what I think we're realizing Biden meant was when I'm going to be bipartisan, I'm going to do stuff that is broadly popular. And when you look among people, you know, uh, and when you look at what he's proposing, a lot of the stuff you just listed, it is broadly popular. I mean, there's been a bunch of polling around the hundred days and generally speaking um, from COVID relief all the way through the child credits, uh, not even credits, the child subsidies um, and uh, infrastructure and, you know, all sorts of things are are popular and bipartisan. And so I do think he's being bipartisan, just depending on how you define it. It's, uh, I think the, I think you're right that like this idea that things are bipartisan, not just because Ted Cruz agrees with them right. or not, <laughs> like, but, but if like a working family in Indiana and a working family in, uh, you know, California may agree on them. Um, and something like the child subsidies is something that, yeah, it's really popular because everyone could use that cash, uh, who has a kid who's under a certain income bracket. Um, and his job approval rating is 54%, which by the way, his predecessor never touched that level. Um, it's kind of low for like generally for presidents at this stage in their presidency. Um, but we're more polarized than we've ever been. So he's got like a 90 something percent approval rating among Democrats, which is like crazy great. Um, but he's got a much lower approval rating among Republicans. And so that's kind of what's bringing down our our average. Um, Starley, do you think that anything about his first 100 days is moving the needle with like red states and, and Republican voters? Do you feel like they're... Like, where do you feel the country is in terms of like that, that January 6th moment of like, you're stealing the election, you've stolen the election, this is not a legitimate president? Where are, where do you think we are um, after 100 days? Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skincare, I tried the skincare just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, um, like I have oily skin that's also dry, which is just a fun little conundrum. I live in New York City. Like we've got these four seasons. My my face gets weird during seasonal shifts. Um, I all of these things I got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, the other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, mm, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that, but we think for your skin type, 
creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, and this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like harsh harshness like many years because when I saw this cleanser I was like oh is this what it's supposed to feel like it's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face that's not what I've been doing so I don't know guys and here's the thing you don't have to take my word for it in a third-party double-blind dermatologist supervised controlled clinical study um, which is like the gold standard for research studies pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level if you think about it just it makes common sense pros are so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make 50 percent of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation um will be taken off that's pros.com slash fake the nation you get your free consultation and 50 percent off your one-of-a-kind formulas uh again that's pros.com slash fake the nation go and get your just super personalized luxurious skincare products and hair care products that's what i'm gonna try next so pros.com slash fake the nation i am the type of person that has subscribed to things and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app, and I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money, and because I used Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry, thank God, Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you, so you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and Rocket Money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year 
using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Well, I don't know. I don't know if those people I consider the other party, though. Like, I, I think they're part of, I think they're Republicans, but I don't know. They're too fringe. It, I hope so. I don't yeah. think they're that. I don't think they're as fringe as we yeah. think they are. I think there there's more of them than we think. But um, I don't think those are the people we should be appealing to when we talk about bipartisanship. That like that that's what shouldn't be catered to in any way. I think the fear was that we thought he was going to be too bipartisan and too compromising. And actually, like when they were passing the relief bill, he said he was willing to compromise. But they he said what the Republicans brought to him was a joke. And that he'll take them seriously if they if they take it seriously. seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the the country seems to have gotten to the point of believing the election was you know fraudulent because of four years of Trump wearing them down to get to that point. Um, I don't think that was that was the baseline that we started it four years before. And so I think when it comes to appealing to red states, there's always going to be this divide. But if Biden can keep doing things that benefits everyone there's just going to be he'll start to crack it a little bit where maybe he can bring some over to his side the way people who always voted red ended up voting for obama like i i just think it's about helping people and if he actually if there's more of him just giving people stuff that they need and want that i think will be louder than right and and he's not having to compete with people saying with with Trump wearing them down every day. Right. And I think the Trump yeah. wearing them down every day thing is like a pretty big deal, like that we haven't had that. And I feel part of that Fox. that you've, you, so just like, and I don't mean to drudge you fight a point on this, but like the, the, the Biden averages six tweets per day compared with, with Donnie, who by one count spent more than nine full days of his presidency on Twitter, like that they calculated <laughs> it. Um, and so the um, the amount of just public interface, I think, is so much less. And I think part of the way that that's manifesting itself is that um, if you look at, you know, like last week, there was like that whole red meat panic shit that was going on that they took some part of Biden's speech and just did a nice false information campaign that Biden wants to get rid of 90% of your meat consumption or something and that wasn't correct and blah 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 so they talked about how Biden's going to do that on all of the conservative networks and then they issued like one really teeny tiny correction that that was inc- that that was wrong but what what was really funny to me about that was like oh there's just not enough incendiary crazy talk for them to latch on to with Biden. So they really have to kind of scrape the bottom of the barrel for a meat panic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That isn't mm-hmm. even true. Um, mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I feel like if that's any indicator, I feel like there is a little bit more of a calm that has come over the entire nation regardless of party <laughs> and i don't know if that's just I mean, like you know you yeah, know like, my the view from my apartment or what you uh, know but that's how it feels jody yeah i mean you know final thoughts at, on this at this point in, into obama's presidency there was a like coalesced tea party that was marching in lockstep with fox news and right now fox news does feel like it's flailing a little bit so i agree right. that said i do think that's the biggest challenge is just you know biden's not gonna be able to fix that it's not his 
on the one hand, it's not his job to fix the fact that the Republican Party has gone around the bend, but it is also going to be his problem to deal with. And I don't, you know, and I do think that's still out there. Yeah. Well, folks, let me know what you think of his first 100 days. And by the time this uh, podcast airs, you will have heard his uh, State of the Union address or what? It, what is it technically called? It's not technically called a State of the Union it's address. It's a joint congressional his, address or something, right? His whatever of the <laughs> union address. Uh, let me know what you thought of it um, on all of the social medias that we should all be staying off of. Please reach me. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will talk about other things. And we are back and we're ready for topic number two. Um, as of Tuesday, the CDC came out and said, we don't have to wear masks outside. More specifically, fully vaccinated Americans don't need to cover their faces anymore unless they're in a big crowd of strangers. And those who are vaccinated can go outside without masks in some situations, too. I mean, I don't know. Uh, Starly, what did you think of the news? How'd that make you feel? I mean, I felt happy. I'm glad. <laughs> I, um, I'm happy about it. You I mean, mean, you don't? I, you but mean I, you want this thing to end, Starly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you have some hesitation. You have some hesitation in admitting that. Yes. Tell me why you might hesitate admitting that. Am I supposed to be excited about that? I'm so excited. I hate wearing masks. I never want to wear a mask again. I, I, I but I'm not. Uh, my behavior in the pandemic was I was a good citizen. Everything was for right. the, to be a good citizen, to not, to not give it to others, and hence not get it, so I don't give it to others. I was not on either extreme. I never. I, I was not someone who was out in the world like feeling fear all the time right, when right. I wasn't like I wasn't looking for the hand sanitizer at everywhere I went I wasn't right. I was I was being careful and I was being good but I felt you were following like, the science but you weren't freaking out yeah yeah I mean I'm super worried about not enough people getting vaccinated and that trend so the part where um I guess non-vaccinated people can can mix it up too that kind of stuff makes me nervous because I want everything to just be like you must get vaccinated you must get vaccinated um but yeah I'm I hate those masks. Right. And and I just so you <laughs> so feel, ready to be just done. so you're <laughs> I also hate the mask. It's interesting because I think we're in a weird cultural moment where a lot of people feel really weird admitting that they fucking hate the mask. I fucking hate the mask. I just want to say to all fellow glasses wearers in America and the world, the mask in the winter was a tough one because you only saw fog in your glasses. Like that's what it was for several months and that sucked. Um and so um, and I would routinely just have to take like breathing breaks so my da- glasses could defog so that I could see something. In it. And I tried everything. So we don't need to go into that. I did try everything. The glasses, there were some instances where I could get the glasses to fog up less, but it was still just a constant battle. So um, I, I. And I also just like the knowing the way molecules work and talking, you know, I have a bunch of doctors in my family who were always like, wear your mask in public because it's what we're doing right now to, to protect everybody, to also encourage everybody to do it, which I totally, I feel the same way. I feel like I was a good citizen. I am a good citizen. I will do the things. I will follow the science. And in this case, I will also follow the science because I'm probably not going to wear a mask outside. Uh, it, it because because I don't have to. Also, I'm fully vaccinated. And then the other bigger news, Jody, came out today as we tape on uh, Wednesday here 
uh, I'll just read from the John Hopkins press release about this. The emerging data confirms what many of us thought would be the case that not only do vaccines stop symptomatic COVID, but they also make it highly unlikely that someone can even be infected at all. I think the preponderance of evidence supports the fact that vaccinated individuals are not able to spread the virus. Jody, yeah. what do you think? Well, that's I'm happy about that too. All this is good. I, yeah, it's all I, good. I, I just, just want to, you know, go on the record of saying I would like the pandemic to end, uh, and yeah. I would like to get back to real life. But you know, I mean, I think your point there about, um, you know, this is something we thought was going to be was true, and we just sort of needed to wait until we got. You know, I think that is that is like important to keep in mind, and I think is like. We probably knew eight months ago, six months ago, that wearing masks outside wasn't the like be all and end all of of this. And we know that the CDC is sometimes a little slow or cautious or however you want to right. you know clarify. And I just think like people who f- follow the science and are reasonable and are trying to be like civic minded, part of that is understanding that there is a little inefficiency in the process and how we move forward. And I have been like super frustrated with this like outdoor mask, quote unquote, like controversy, because it just feels like a total straw man. It feels like people who want to get angry about COVID regulations somehow drew this like arbitrary line in the sand around outdoor masks. Like, I don't think that's actually where the real debate is happening. Um, But it is like, easy fodder for the outrage machine um and so like i just you know again i'm just like this outdoor mask thing like yeah we knew where it was headed and it's fine and in the grant in the context of like two years and in the context of trying to be a little responsible for a global pandemic like three extra weeks where we knew where this was headed but you know like it's fine it's fine And I just want to say, too, you know, I did an informal, obviously non-scientific poll on Twitter and on Instagram about um, whether or not people felt good about not wearing masks. And, you know, it wasn't, I don't know if it it was like uh, maybe sort of evenly divided with people being like, yeah, I'm so glad taking the mask off to like people being like, uh, no, I don't trust that people are going to be truthful about their vaccination status. Um, But just to point out, there's also situations where unvaccinated people can be maskless outside, whatever. But that's but putting that aside, there is I, I, I personally I don't like care if someone wants to continue wearing a mask or not wearing a mask. Yeah. That's the other thing. I think the the ju- there's been phases of judgment throughout this pandemic and both have been frustrating. The phase of judgment where if you were wearing a mask, you were some kind of like crazy liberal who uh, was a dr- um, a zombie to uh, the Democrats or something. That was dumb and stupid. And then the and then the phase where people are like, um, if you're not wearing a mask, you are just you hate other people and you don't care about safety and all that. All, both of those things are heinous. Um, and I think if you want to continue wearing a mask, it's like worked out for you or you. You have an, you know, you're extra, you have other health concerns that I'm not, you know, that, that the average person doesn't have all of that stuff. That's great. Like keep wearing a mask. I totally support you. And I want to say the average person supports you like, you know, unless they're Tucker Carlson or something. I don't know. But I mean, I I think again, you're right. Jody. What's frustrating about this is that it's like a, it's just a, it's, there's actually no need for outrage any, in any aware of it like in any angle on it like we don't really need the outrage it's like you're really yeah. useless i got i got the the news alert came on my phone like the new york Times yeah. alert came in and like true like it was like a 
continuous one continuous movement of the alert coming in and me taking my mask yeah. off it was such it was so quickly <laughs> done yeah. and I, like no, swipe totally like unlocked my phone took with my left hand took my mask off with my right hand and, right and i right. think some people it, there was no like, air in between and some people are going to like do a ton of reading and thinking on their own and find their own line some people are going to take that cdc guidance and just like not necessarily because they think the cdc is you know, the be all and end all, but like you have to just sort of like take your guidance from somewhere. And some people have just mm-hmm. very reasonably said, whatever the CDC says, that's what I'm going to follow. Um, but, you know, I just yeah, I I just think that yeah. this like masks outdoors, quote unquote, debate doesn't really exist outside of the minds of people who want to find something to get angry about. Like, I really just don't. Um, I think there's yeah. plenty of so, other reasonable yeah. arguments and like conversations and tricky, tough things. The masks outdoors thing, I just think is a, is just a straw person, a straw man. Um, on that note, let me know, folks. What do you think? What are you doing? I, well, you don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> and also, whatever you think, I support you. Yeah. It's totally fine because it doesn't matter. Okay. I mean, it matters. Like in the grand scheme. Also, get vaccinated. Help unless people get vaccinated. Yeah. That, unless you're that. a person, unless you're one of the protesters, like blocking people from like going into stores because they're wearing masks. I don't. Oh, yeah. Right. No, I, I don't support those I people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in general, I just support people like making their own reasonable choices within the realm of like kindness and reason um okay (laughs) let us move on to the next topic so the census was taken for better or worse in the middle of a fucking pandemic and i was so mad at this because the only thing that seemed like it couldn't happen really smoothly was it was a fucking uh census taking um in the pandemic and the only thing that muffled the sound of my screams was empty census forms uh nevertheless here we are and as a result there's been a reapportionment of seats in the house As a result, some delegations are now going to be smaller. Some are going to be larger. So just to give you a little rundown, um, West Virginia, North Carolina, um, Michigan, Illinois, Pennsylvania, California, and New York State have all lost one seat. I want to point out that New York State lost a seat by just 89 counts. If 89 more people have filled the census form, we would have kept that seat. It is more than frustrating. How is that not in the margin of error, by the way? I don't understand how that works. That's like someone needs to explain that to me. But um, the gains at fucking 89. Okay. Anyways, that makes me so I can't. I'm so mad at 80 at the number 89. Um, don't anyone say 89 to me. I'll just self combust. Uh, here are some states that are gaining. Texas Great year gains. for movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, wasn't, it sounds like it would have been a great year for me but don't talk i can't even talk about that anymore because i'll just like yeah. explode texas gained two seats florida gained a seat colorado uh north carolina they all gained a seat uh i, I guess my just like large question is what do you think of these results what do you think i mean what do you think it means uh jody well um I I don't want to say the number that comes after 88. <laughs> uh, by the way, Star Lee, Field of Dreams, yeah. Major League, Parenthood, Do the Right Thing, Say Anything, Uncle Buck. Oh, You're fuck. right. These are this is a lot. Oh yeah, it's, this it's, is a good year. It's an incredible yeah. year. Um, yeah. All right, anyway. Um uh, you know, New York uh has lost congressional seats basically every census, right? In the 40s, New York had 45 congressional seats. New York is now down to 26. Uh, So, you know, worth keeping that context in mind. Um, 
the population of this country is moving to the south and the southwest um, and away from the northeast and the and the midwest. And so I think we see that, um, you know, the way that uh, this will actually shake out is going to be when the state legislatures rewrite the, you know, the census uh, when they re- when they re gerrymander. And so, you know, to say like, oh, red states gained and blue states tended to lose. That's sort of true. But, you know, if you look at who has control, Republicans have full control of the redistricting process in more states than Democrats do, but they have less of it, less of that control than they did than they did in 2010. And so, you know, you kind of have to like see how yeah, this so actually plays out. out. Yeah, and you know, for what it's worth, and I will it, say, and, this, and the yeah, one the one seat in New York that could be uh, done away with is a Republican yes. seat. Yes, absolutely. And so New York New is York controlled by Democrats. Bluer overall. They're going right? to rewrite it to to you know, oh, we lost a seat. Lo and behold, it's the Republican seat, and that's going to happen in New York, guaranteed. I will say, for what it's worth, that you have to draw the line somewhere. So, yes, 89 seems like a small number, but, like, you got to draw it somewhere. And um, it doesn't matter if you lose it by 10,000 or 89, you still lose it. You either lose it or you don't. And so, you know, I know that that's, like, been the headline, but it is, you know, it is what it is. The other frustrating thing, Joe, and I have to say this, too, on top of that number, 88 plus 1, is the fact that New York's population grew during this time. It just didn't grow at the same rate, right? Like as Texas. And so that's the other frustrating thing that's sort of like, you know, it feels like it defies math, except for it doesn't. I totally understand. But but it's really fucking angering on top of 88 plus one. Um, Starly, what do you think? When Harry met Sally, really came out in 1989. <laughs> so traditionally, they say 1995 and I think 2017 are the best years for movies ever. But 80, 89, 17. What is what happened? What, what was 2017? Oh, oh, that's my 2017. Was there will be blood? Uh, no, not 2017. That what you shoot? What year was that? Was that 2000? <laughs> yeah, 2000, 2007. Definitely sorry, not 2007. 2000. Oh yeah. Uh, okay. okay. Sorry, I was gonna yeah. say. So, like 2017 is basically this year. Right, right. 2007 <laughs> Plus, was like was but with right, movies. Yeah. That 2007 came out, was but. No Country for Old Men. There will be blood. Michael Clayton. Uh, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, very, very good movies. But anyway, go yeah, ahead. Rewatchable. But thing. I bet on average, I bet in, on average, 1989. The difference between 1989 and 2007 was still having this happen, but not as much as in 1989. Is even the bad movies you or the lesser movies you saw were still yeah, pretty good. Fair enough. And that is what decreases every year. Yes. And that is what the House of the, yeah. and that's what Congress is all about. Very similar to <laughs> leaking uh, Senate uh, seats, congressional seats from New York. Over the, yeah. Starly, what do you what do you think about the reapportionment? It's very hard for me to wrap my head around how it practically shakes out. As far as the census being taken, wasn't the census was already being taken? So I I understand why it continued to be taken during the pandemic. I just think it needed a. I, sh- I should have gotten like an extra year, or you know what I mean. Like, there's no well, way there. And and they and and the the census numbers are totally off from their projections of what they would be, which is a red flag. I mean, I just want a do over. I just want a do over. A do over seems reasonable. Um, I don't know. I feel, I know that California lost a seat, even though Democrats lost. It wasn't as bad a loss as we feared. Right. 
And also, I just want to say to to take a ugh, to take a census during a presidency that actively was trying to thwart populations from completing the census. Well, that's I why mean, they kept going. Do over, folks. Hashtag census do over, please. You're making a list of, Maybe, of do overs that you want from the last four. <laughs> right, exactly. I was going to say on on that list. On that list, though, I think it's. I'm sure this conversation has been had in yes. the White House. I understand. Given that administration, I understand why they continued the census during a pandemic in the hopes of not getting an accurate reading. But I think as much as I'm sure the idea of a do-over has been lobbed around the White House, I think it's so low on the list that we might not. I know, because people don't understand. People don't th- don't understand how sexy the fucking census really is. They don't. It's like not glamorous. It is, in fact, one of the most glamorous things about democracy and it it does just gets it just has a really terrible pr like the census just seems so fucking boring but i to be a like a aaron sorkin movie about it Mm. well and maybe and that's and maybe we maybe we get aaron sorkin to do a 1989 movie in 2021 about the census he would love it he would love it uh folks let me know uh where you are on reapportionment you know where I am. I'm really mad and I want to do over. And 89 is not an appropriate number to be the cutoff. I just want to say that for the record. It's within the margin of error because that means tens and tens of thousands of people are going to lack representation where they once had it. You know, come on. Okay. I mean, again, what's more democratic than that in this country? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get into topic number three. Birth rates are down. They're down in France by 7%. They're down in Poland by 5.3%. They're down in Italy. They're down in China by nearly 15%. In the U.S., there's an estimated 300,000 fewer babies expected in 2021, and there was already 7% fewer births in December. So my question is, guys, where is all the raw dogging? Where have, where has all the raw dogging gone? Why the decline? I have so many theories about this. This also seems, this does not seem unrelated to the, the previous segment. Yeah, no, true. Uh, you, I mean, this is you, this is you, you really are determined to make the census sexy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I am sort of relieved <laughs> that there's less people having babies just because I'm tired of everyone I know having babies. <laughs> so that's a selfish okay. reason. Um, You're tired of having uh, to buy what, like the obligatory onesie? Too many people. They can buy their onesies. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm tired. It's more, I'm tired of seeing this social media posts Mm -hmm. mostly. Um, I think it's so scary to have kids now and it's scary just the state of the world, but I think it's not a given anymore at all that your children will have a higher quality of life than their parents. Before I, before I throw to you, Jody, I just want to say, um, I want to pat myself on the back for a moment and by pointing out that I don't actually post very much about my own child. I knew that was going to. I, I, uh, I, could, feel, I could feel the. I could feel the pause. <laughs> I uh, I have one, and I uh, I probably post about her and the dog like in equal amounts, and I try mm-hmm. not to post very much about either, just because I don't want to be that guy, Jody. But no, I don't care if you are that person. Um, but I just want to say. I have like I have created a standard for myself of like minimal posting about child. That's good. That's I I that's I respect that. Thank you. Others should follow your lead. It's not that <laughs> posts about people's kids are not interesting and not 
fun right. to look at. Cause I actually do like looking at them. It's that they create the feeling that it's the only correct option. way to live or and, something. Yes. yes. And that's, Which I think is, there's an actual, it, it is actual damage that it does. Right. And, and you can feel, and sometimes it's like, did this parent have an especially terrible day because they could not be saying enough times how this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to them yeah like it's and and it's so funny and, it's almost it's almost creating this baby bust just the dist just the like the you know the the what is it the, the the reverse psychological effect of like what you think it would do it's like doing the opposite jody what do you think about this population <laughs> decline uh, i will say I post photos of my daughter all the time. I find her very charming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, mm-hmm. you're just going to have to deal with it, people. But no. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, I think... The close friend. Yes, exactly. Um, Starly, mm-hmm. I mean, I think your point about this notion of, you know, envisioning what the world will look like for the next generation is really at the heart of a lot of this. And I think when I thought about having a kid, I certainly thought that and even like talked to to people about like, is this a responsible thing to do? Um, and, you know, actually a lot of people I respect sort of answered that, yes, like we need smart, caring people to be having kids. Like that's part of actually the solution, not mm-hmm. like, you know, um, so that's part of it. But but if I can just add one mm-hmm. more thing, which is like, yeah, yeah. at the same time, I also feel like every generation of parents must feel like they are having their kid at a time of real parent. Like I look at the generations in my family and like my parents, like I was, my parents had me when like the notion that the U S and Russia would like annihilate each other in a nuclear war was like very present in their lives. My grandparents had my parents in, you know, 1945, like during a world war. So I think like every parent probably fears that like, my kid, there might not be not, a world when my kid grows up. And so I, I, on the one hand, I like kind of understand that that is out there right now and for real. But I also think that that is off. I feel like that's often been the case. But not financially. Yes. Financially. Yes, exactly. The financial part is what has changed. Uh, the given that your kids were going to have a better life, that you were providing, you were having kids in order to provide them with a life and then they would. Yes. And and that across the board is like a defining feature for, you know, millennials who are the ones who are having kids right now that just like a lack of faith in like American, uh, you know, advancement in that way. Absolutely. I think mm-hmm. that's huge. Yes, you're, you're right. Yeah. I mean, the the other weird thing is that we have set up this thing that your your life is supposed to be better than your parents' life, which also is sort of like anti-sustainability, right? Like your life – and what is the metric of your life being better? Does it mean you have more things? It means you travel to more places? Like all of those things are not sustainable. So I, 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 have, a tr- I have trouble with that metric in the, to begin with. Like my par- my life should not be better than my parents' life. It should just be like similarly situated to my parents' life, but then more thoughtful because they burned a bunch of fossil fuels and I hope to burn less, you know? And like, so I think, I don't know, like I, that metric, I think it's weird, but you're right that in terms of um, fertility rates in the United States, one of the things I found is that there's residual effects of the great, from the Great Depression. So in October 2009, um, the Pew Research Center reported that 14% of Americans uh, between 18 and 34 and 8% th- between 35 and 44 were postponing having 
having a child because of the financial crisis. Um, and the other thing I also want to point out, and this might just be a little bit more uh, of a cultural change, is women giving birth in their late 30s and 40s is actually the only number um, in the fertility world that ha- in the birth rate world that has gone up, right? So more women are more women are having children in their 30s and 40s. But when you start so late, you can't have a whole brood, you know, mm. uh, generally speaking. So uh, so that also kind of uh, leads to the overall decline, even though this particular age group is 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 uh, is is putting in the work. Um, in, and I'm in that age group of like I had a baby, you know, I waited like until later. I waited till I could have I, until I did a whole bunch of shit um, that felt baby incompatible. And then I had a baby so that I could start living a baby compatible life, uh, which is a, which is a cultural thing in general. I mean, I think there's a convergence of pandemic and financial crisis and, uh, women who were just like making decisions that are also just maybe more culturally accepted. It's like not a big, as big a deal. Like I have tons, tons of friends who are not having kids. Uh, and it's like, very much ho-hum, you know, yeah. where I think in my parents' generation, it was not remotely ho-hum to make that choice. It's interesting, though, because I feel, well, I think, well, so the thing about the having a better life than our parents, we don't have to have a better life, although capitalism, I feel like, kind of makes you feel like, is an unsus- is is that model where it's always got to be, right. you gross, always are being gross, driven gross. towards this unsustainable outcome. But um the kids today are not there's it's not the same given as what their parents had. You're not guaranteed to own a home. Right. They go into college, you know, and they're going to have all this debt. You they're not being assured the thing that you're saying you want to have, which is like the same level of life as your parents. I feel with my social circles, people might have had kids, it might have been, you know, the thing you were expected to do in past generations, everyone had kids, but they seem like once they had the kids to generally be like, now I have the kids, they can kind of, they're not taking over my entire life. Right, like they do whatever. People, yes, it, yeah, 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 yeah. And now my friends who have kids, it is their life. Yeah. It is, with, with the, there's exceptions, but there seems to be tremendous among, amount of pressure amongst the people I know to have children. Because if you don't have the kids, how are you going to ever see anyone again as an adult? Because most adults I know with kids don't do anything that's not related to their child. They work. And then their social life is devoted to the child and they're very close with their children and they're very determined to make it so their kids have all the things and all the access. And um, it doesn't if societally as a whole, we're being expected. There's right. less pressure so on us to have so children. Pers- yeah, yeah. That, like the, the whole way the cultural norm of parenting has become super annoying like not just that it's a like that helicopter parents are annoying whatever just that like the expectation of like what you're supposed to do as a parent is has become way more intense and it's now like not everyone's thing you know whereas before i i do i mean i agree that my parents were way my immigrant Muslim parents that I, we had a ton of rules, I had a ton of restrictions, etc. But they were just generally way more chill as parents than basically everyone, every parent that I see on the playground. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, and they raised the little like overachiever, blah blah blah. But still, they were just way more chill. And I also think that their lives were more integrated. Like mm-hmm. they would just 
it's not that like they didn't go to parties. They did go to parties and they would just take me with them. And I would yeah. just like go watch TV in someone's random house. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then there'd be Their people, identity was less It was just tied less into, tied yeah. into whatever I was doing. I was a little bit, sometimes they treated me like just an, you know, like an accessory they had to drag around or whatever. Sometimes they did things for me very specifically and, you know, really like thoughtfully. Um, sometimes there were, you know, it was a mixture of the two. Like it, you know, like I was in that eighties and nineties, like latchkey kid generation where like I spent a lot of time alone at home, you know, without parents there. Um, and that kind of thing just doesn't happen anymore. So the, our expectation of parenting, I do agree, seems to have like blown up in a way that's so, uh, that, that, that feels like it, you know, um, it's uh it's a hurdle for people to join, yeah. you know. Jody, what do you think? I I think that makes sense to me. I'm, I you know my 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 sense maybe this is projecting, but you know I feel I wonder if we're we're moving a little bit back away from the helicopter parent generation. I feel like that sort of Gen X older millennial sort of vibe was definitely I don't know maybe you know again maybe I'm projecting here maybe you know but I do feel like maybe younger millennials like I do think there's a little bit of a natural cycles that you go latchkey helicopter latchkey helicopter and maybe we're moving in the other direction yeah i just throw my baby into a living room and just leave so that's how i'm Mm -hmm. doing it (laughs) i i feel like it's less so about helicopter parenting and more about the identity of being a social media and it's more about right right yeah Yeah, and it's and also the feeling of like when you said when you talk to your friends and you and they were like, no, kind, caring people have to have kids. Yeah. I agree with that mm-hmm. sentiment. But I think what we're also thinking is we're so used to being like us and them. For them to say that implies that unkind, not caring people are having kids. You know, you're, it's like a balancing. It's kind yeah, of a balancing. That's not exactly right? how I read it. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it's more like, well, you know, any parent wants to imbue um their kids with their values and hope that their kid mm-hmm. is like a good, you know, citizen. Um, and that yeah. when you see someone who has values that you, you know, are aligned with yours, then you want that person to, uh, <laughs> to, to, to do well, that. And, and Starley, like the, the South African philosopher, David Whoa. Benatar, we read this in a piece in the New York times by, by um, Tim Wyman, Tom, sorry, Tom Wyman. Um, and he, he started quote, quoting the South African um, philosopher uh, who is the preeminent antinatalist, by the way, anti having kids. Um, he likened baby making to like taking hostages and a strategy of, on behalf of breeders to increase their value in the eyes of society. Um, and in yeah. his case study, he points out if two people need a kidney and only one of them is the single mother of a young child, who does society think should get the kidney? Obviously, we give it to the young, to the to the mother of a young child, right? Because that mm-hmm. person's value is just inherently greater because they procreate it. Um, so that's kind of like what you're saying is we're sort of like valuing people, parents in a, in, a, yes. in this ridiculous way. Yes, yeah, that exactly. So Jody, final thought for you. Um, do you, do you, does this bust worry you? Like, do you think it's like, we're going to go, we're going to go into an era of population decline in general? Uh, I, I, I just don't feel like I know enough to really be worried. I mean, I, I, you know, I generally am not a like 
the world is overpopulated and we need to really decrease our population and that's the only way we're going to, you know, I, I generally think like humans solve problems and if there are more humans, they will solve, you know, they will maybe be more in problems. a better shape yeah. to f- solve problems. Um, so, you know, it worries me a little bit, but I also don't see it as like in necessarily inevitable. Um, and, you know, I could see it. I could see it cycling in the other direction for a host of reasons. Yeah, and I and 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 I I just want to say in closing, like I I kind of like you know m- my take on Starly's position is um, I totally think people should have kids um, and also to feel free not to make it a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You you know it is a yeah. big deal. Da, da 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 da. But like it also you know it doesn't like have to be. You know it's like we can live in we can live in that like nineteen eighty eight plus one movie where having a kid was just like a thing. It just was like a part of the movie. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Starly, where do people find you? Starly Kind, Twitter, Starly Kind, Instagram. Great. And then you can also listen to her podcast. Yeah. Election Profit Makers. You can watch Search Party. Jody, where do people find you? Uh, I host a short political history show called This Day in Esoteric Political History. You can find that wherever you find your podcasts. I am also on Twitter and Instagram and Jody Avergan. And folks, you know where to find me and all the stuff that I do. Uh, just a note, the I did an episode on cicadas with Star Talk that is out right now. Um, so you can listen to uh, me and Neil deGrasse Tyson and a scientist who knows everything about cicadas. Talk about cicadas. It's actually really great. You know what cicadas do? They fucking do a bunch of fucking. That's what they do. Um, and then also, um, I'm on this week, the episode that w- just happened of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Also, you can still find me on Bird Girl every Sunday night. So tune in to the Cartoon Network um, for your regularly scheduled Adult Swim viewing uh, Bird Girl on Sunday nights. And I want to thank everyone who makes the show possible. A big thank you to our producer, Julia Linden, our sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, and all the wonderful people that had come. The theme music was written by Gabby Alter. And as always, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts because it helps other people find it. Again, email us at fakethenation at headgum.com. Let us know your guest ideas Ideas, panel of your segment ideas anything any ideas ideas uh hit us up we love hearing from you um oh and uh join the patreon uh because uh it helps the show it helps me um you get a bunch of bonus content and you can do that at patreon.com slash nagin farsad and thanks so much for listening to the show we'll be back in your earballs next week That was a HeadGum Podcast.